This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, Ellis Pod fans, it's JR here. Burt's Babes, Hoddle's Heroes, even Decanio's Dozens. We've had some iconic lineups in our history at Swindon, just like the legendary menu at McDonald's. Parkin' or Austin, sweet curry or barbecue? Why not get a McNugget share box to enjoy the debates with your mates? And thanks to book delivery, every drop-off could be a home win. Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points too. No one wants to drop points at home, and with tasty rewards to earn, you won't be missing out. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. to a tribute episode of the Low Strangers as we remember former Swindon Town defender John Gittins who passed away sadly in May 2019 at the age of just 55. Born in Moseley in January 1964, John started his football career in the West Midlands with Paget Rangers where he was combining his football with a two-year menswear tailoring course. It was top flight Southampton who took a chance on this 21-year-old pacey but raw defender but with plenty of potential, enough potential for the Saints to pay £10,000 for his services in October 1985. John suddenly found himself working alongside celebrated veterans like Peter Shilton and Joe Jordan and that first season was one of bedding in as John acted as cover for Mark Wright and Kevin Bond. Manager Chris Nicholl handed John his professional debut in April 1986 during a win against Birmingham City. The following season saw John continue to serve as cover, but there were plenty of positives, such as being part of the Southampton side that beat reigning champions Liverpool 2-1 at the Dow, and not forgetting a 3-0 aggregate win over Swindon in the League Cup. In the summer of 1987, after almost two seasons and 18 top-flight appearances, John left Hampshire for Wiltshire for a tribunal set fee of £40,000. And this is where I bring in my guest, Gavin Brown, who thoroughly enjoyed watching John from the terraces of the county grounds and recently included him in a Town 11 for this podcast. Anyway, it's time to sound the hooter as we remember and celebrate... John Gittins. Johnny's going to get you.
Hello, Gavin. Hello, Rich. How are you? I'm very well. Um, desperately sad news going through on Saturday the 11th. Um, the news that John Gittins has sadly passed away. Our thoughts, of course, go to his family and friends. For me, John played in the first town side that I ever saw. Uh, so I have tremendous fondness for anyone from that 11. But of course, for yourself, when we spoke last time, he made your... Mavericks and Colt 11 as well. He did, he did, yeah. He was he was a favourite of mine as a kid, John Gittins. As he said, really sad news for all Swindon fans and obviously anybody anybody who is a fan of the clubs he played for and obviously his family and friends, yeah. Yeah, I just remember John Gittins from, I'd have been 12 or 13 when he, when he signed for us. And yeah, a real wholehearted, popular player, as, as I said when we spoke before a cult player because of the way he played the game and the way he clearly cared about what he did. And yeah, it's just very sad. Yeah, Yeah, he arrived at town in the summer of 1987 alongside one of your other favourites, Steve Foley. And he, we had been enjoying a rapid rise up the divisions at that stage. We just had back-to-back promotions. Uh, We were in Division 2 for the first time since 1974. John was a fringe player in the top flight when he signed from Southampton. And they moved to Swindon, which is, of course, a, a clear indicator of the ambition that Lou Macari was uh, was showing for Swindon. Exactly. As you say, that's the time when Steve Foley came in. First year in the second tier. I think it's also the summer after Steve White joined, wasn't it? But it was, it was kind of a period of, of maybe signing a slightly better quality of player and, and putting together a good team that, even in that first season, more than held its own. And he, he slotted in straight away alongside Colin Calderwood. I mean, the, the two seasons before, apart from Tim Parkin, I, I couldn't necessarily recall a regular partner for Colin Calderwood at the back. And it felt when Gittins arrived, we then had that real kind of solid centre-half partnership, which, as it turned out, yeah, was then together for another four years, which which shows what a success he was. You were quite young when when John signed for Swindon, but because he had played for Southampton in the top flight, and I know it's a bit different back in the 80s, but had you heard of John Gittins before he signed? No, no, I never heard of him, to be honest. No, I know, like like you said, nowadays, I think you, you would have heard of a fringe player at a Premier League club, but it was a bit different. And I mean, he probably had a little square in my Panini sticker album, but I don't think I had his sticker, so, so it wasn't one that rang a bell, you know? From your memories of those those early seasons that John had with Swindon, was he a typical Lou Macari signing? I think he was, yeah, in the sense that he was wholehearted, no nonsense, and yeah, clearly just very, very committed to the cause. And um, just, you know, I hate that cliche. He gave a hundred percent every week, but he really did. Yeah, yeah, he was, he was, he, he was pretty much a fringe player to start with. Mm. Um, Lou stuck with. Calderwood, of course, but also Tim Parkin. Um, and I think it's just a case that Macari was bolstering the competition, but all three of them played plenty in that first in that first year. I don't know if Parkin had suffered injuries or, or Lou had, was unsure, but he really helped Swindon solidify um, and consolidate their place in the second tier. Yeah, I'd imagine Parkin was probably a bit, a bit steadier. Again, like, my memories are pretty hazy, but there was a sense, definitely, with Gittins at first, I think, that he was one of those defenders that you're on the edge of your seat a little bit when he had the ball, and not always for, for, for the right reason, you know? Hmm. It was a little bit kind of, I'm not sure he knew what he was going to do with the ball necessarily, or his teammates. But um, 
what what Swindon fans learned really quickly is how strong in the tackle he was. He had great pace as well, great recovery pace. Yeah, in that first season, we finished twelfth. Uh, brilliant. I mean, I, I mean, if I was if I was watching Swindon in that stage, I would be more than happy with that. But it's in nineteen eighty eight, eighty nine, where things start to really start to change for Swindon in the sense that we we finish in the playoffs again, going mm. out to uh, Crystal Palace, who go up, of course. But that's the year also that John starts to really sort of push. Uh, parking for his place and we get some absolutely incredible results during that season that's right I remember that season quite well we we, we really did compete um, and like you said he became a growing part of that, that side but uh, it was definitely in terms of promotion I think it was a season too soon I remember I did, I went to the Palace playoff away leg it was probably one of the first away games I've gone to um, and that was a side under Steve Coppel that had Mark Bright and Ian Wright up front Eddie McGoldrick, Alan Pardew, uh, and I just, you know, that, that, to be honest, we were never in it from from my recollections. I mean, we were a good team, but you saw that team, which went on to, you know, play in the FA Cup final in a couple of years, and yeah, they were kind of a class above, and I guess it was a sort of indication of the level we we needed to reach if we were going to challenge properly for promotion the following year, which obviously, luckily, we went on and we did, and, and yeah, John was obviously an integral part of the side by that stage. To give you an idea of the of the player of the teams that were in Division Two uh, during that eighty eight eighty nine season, Chelsea and Man- Manchester City got the automatic places. Mm. Crystal Palace, Blackburn, Watford. We finished above Leeds, Sunderland, Oxford. Of course, it it was absolutely incredible. This is also the season, the season before the the playoff success, is when Gittin starts to get that reputation of a booking. Uh, His first season is quite, it's disciplinary, it's it's quite good. Um, But in the second season, there's a lot of yellow cards. Would it be safe to say that many of those cards may be red nowadays? I I think that's very true. Yeah, I think that there would definitely be a lot more yellow. (laughs) And a few of the yellows he did get would be red. It's interesting, um, a Swindon fan on Twitter, I think John Stump tweeted a lovely uh, page earlier today on the on the day John died from the Bring the Noise fanzine, which I remember from when I was a kid. And it was their kind of bad boys league table from, I think, 88, 89. And it, for the second year in a row, it was topped by John Gittins. But the thing for me that really stood out was I think he was booked six or seven times. And if you look at, I had a quick look earlier, if you look at the disciplinary table in the championship, the equivalent league this season, there's literally two dozen players who've been booked at least 10, 10 to 12 times. So I think you can safely say if, you know, John was our, our kind of, um, you know, our player who was in trouble to referees the most back then, you'd be looking in, 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 in today's football probably at 15, 16 bookings a season and a couple of reds. <laughs> and it just shows, and that's not to say he was, he was a particularly dirty player, but you could, you could get away with, with tackling a bit more than, you know, like, Obviously, you have to win the ball, but you, you didn't necessarily have to take the ball cleanly or win, win it from in front of your man. And he loved a sliding challenge. He loved coming in on somebody from the side as they went down the wing. It was what you, you know, what you kind of see see as a real tone setter of a player, you know. That bring the noise fancy. What I love is uh, Vitzroy Simpson certainly pushed him quite yeah. hard in that in that in that disciplinary table. Yeah, I think like like you said, it's um, it was it was a part of football that we love in this country and. And it's obviously, you know, why he was fondly remembered in, in that fanzine piece is because it's what, the, what the, the crowd loved. You know, it got you on your feet and people would be singing, you know, Johnny's going to get here and all this kind of thing. And, and that's why you know, he very, very quickly became a popular player, obviously, because he could play, because people wouldn't have had a lot of time for him if he was, you know, just some kind of um, 
loose cannon that you couldn't rely on. But uh, at the same time, it was full-blooded and it was, you know, a little on the edge. And as he said, there was a lot of big clubs in that division at the time and we were taking it to them, you know, and that kind of epitomised the approach, I guess. Johnny's going to get you. Mm. It's one of those chants that you don't really hear much anymore, do you? No, everything's too melodic nowadays. Yeah. It's not got that menacing kind of, you know, chanting this. <laughs> <laughs> well, at the end of that season... Lou Macari leaves and goes to West Ham and in comes Ozzy Ardiles for 89-90 season. Ozzy came with a different philosophy. Did it change at all for, for John? As I, as I may have said when, I, when, when we spoke before, me, me, me and tactics and formations and styles of play probably didn't, didn't always um, go very well when I was in my sort of early teens. I, 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 I couldn't tell you particularly, but I mean, he kept his place in the side. So, I think, you know, our dealers obviously recognised the value of, of, of the, the defence that we had because it re- did remain largely unchanged. Um, I think maybe bringing in Ross McLaren to sit in front of the back four probably 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 helped change the philosophy a little bit. But whether whether Gittins himself was spraying passes around, I, I can't remember. To be honest. He was still getting sent off occasionally, I know that. Yeah, he, he went once that season. Um against Leeds away at Elland Road. Um, he scores more goals that year as well, so I think maybe Aussie is utilising him maybe going up um, yeah. in that sense. But 89-90, he was a pivotal figure in that in that Wembley season. That's right, yeah. I think he was he was virtually ever-present, wasn't he? And um, there's, a, there's a lovely um, pull-out in the advertiser, the evening advertiser, or swindling advertiser as it is now, uh, with a photo back at the county ground that evening after the win at Wembley, and I think it's our dealers, uh Steve White and John Gittins are the, th- are the three people in the frame on the on the on the roof of the bus. I think it was on the roof of the team coach outside the county ground, and yeah, that's kind of you know it's where he belonged. He was one of the top men in the team, no doubt about that. Yeah. The following season is the season that he left. So mm-hmm. um, he left, and that was pretty much for cutting cloth, wasn't it? Um, financially at that stage yeah i think so i mean we what are we selling back to southampton for i think exactly 10 times what we bought <laughs> yeah he came in for 40 and left for four hundred thousand. yeah Same. so i think by anybody's standards that's a decent bit of business isn't it if you get four years out of a player in their prime and and make make 10 times profit on them yeah yeah same manager that sold him as well chris nickel unbelievable really it's interesting. Then he went on, he played for South, uh, Portsmouth and Middlesbrough, didn't he? Oh. Scored a goal that helped take Middlesbrough into the Premier League in 1992. Yeah, he seemed to be one of these players that, that when he got his top flight opportunity, it seemed to, I don't know if it was a change of manager or maybe top flight football was, was a bridge too far for him, but his two spells at Southampton and then when he made his move to Middlesbrough, because he was in the first season of the Premier League, I believe, um, yeah. It didn't quite work out for him, but I remember when he, he used to come back with Portsmouth. He came back a couple of times, but Portsmouth always seemed to be such a bogey side for Swindon in the yeah. mid-90s, and I don't think John ever lost when playing against Swindon. No, that would have been a side that had John and, and Alan McLaughlin in as well by that stage, I think, wouldn't it? Yeah, poor, poor Alan put out a um, tweet today, and he, of course, played alongside John at Southampton, Swindon and Portsmouth. So mm. a tough day for him. But I remember talking to you during the My Eleven episode and 
thinking he was about 38, 40 by the time he was finishing up at Torquay and, uh, and Exeter, but he, he, he was still, he still had a few years left, but yeah. I think the game was changing, wasn't it? At the, at the higher levels. I think you're right. Maybe his strengths were, were no longer ones that, you know, the modern game relied on as such. Yeah. There's definitely one thing I want us to return to. And that's when we spoke last was that enduring memory that you and your father have of standing at this at the county ground listening to John Gittings. John Gittings in that high-pitched voice, yeah. <laughs> it's funny you should say that because actually was, my, my cousin had a listen to the podcast and he said exactly the same. He said, you know what? He said, a few years ago I was playing five-a-side football in Bristol and he said, I always used to shout, time, 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 whenever one of my teammates had the ball. And he said, it was only listening to the podcast. I re- he said, everybody laughed at him, didn't know why he did it. He said, that's it. It was John Gittins. You've reminded me. And yeah, I mean, you know, a lot of other Swindon fans of the era will remember that John was quite famous for having a very loud voice and uh, quite a high-pitched voice, considering the sort of, you know, big, imposing, physical footballer that he was. And one of his, one of his catchphrases was just to shout time, time, time over and over again at a teammate when they were in possession. Yeah, so I don't know. It's just one of those one of those things you remember as a kid that, that he was quite famous for. Has John's legacy at Swindon kind of been lost within the Sean Taylor and Glenn Hoddle, Glenn Hoddle era? I think a little bit. Um, as, as we said before, yeah. I mean, it's interesting today, Look, if you look at some of the tributes to him on social media from fans who can remember him, I think by the, for that generation, he's not overlooked or underrated. Mm. But I think it's inevitable that, you know, because of what happened in 1990, because al- although we were promoted, we never played in the, in the division above, it's kind of inevitable that the team that came along three years later and did achieve that and then did play in the Premier League. And obviously, the Premier League being a lot bigger by that stage, games being televised, anybody that played in that side is probably going to be fresher in the memory than the ones who came two or three years before. But... Yeah, so I, I think, I, as I said when we did the My 11, I mean, Sean Taylor in many ways probably was a bit of an upgrade. He was a similarly imposing physical defender, but he obviously had the knack of scoring a lot of goals as well. And because he spent probably five or six years at the club, he's probably straddling generations a little bit and is remembered by a few more fans than, than John Gittins. But one, one thing that I, you know, really kind of reflected on today when you see the tributes to him on Twitter is we tend to remember these players from our childhood and uh, see them in a vacuum, you know, they kind of exist then and they exist in your memories and they're always that age and they're always that player. But a lot of the tributes, loads of tributes on Twitter today are to John in recent years as a coach. It seems that he works for the Hampshire FA and with a lot of um, young up-and-coming coaches in the, along on the, uh, in, on the south coast and in Hampshire and, and surrounding areas. And just how, how highly thought of he was as a coach and a mentor to other coaches and I think, yeah, maybe within his history at Swindon, it's kind of something that seems, seems a bit distant to a lot of fans, but it's lovely and really heartening to see what, what an impact he had on a lot of other people's lives as well. Yeah, absolutely. And are there any other lasting Swindon memories of, of John that you have? I probably should have a positive one, shouldn't I? But yeah, the red card at Norwich was good. Mm-hmm. A running battle with Robert Flett. Yeah, but, but red cards were good and are good. They're great <laughs> fun. I will, I will not have this argument I, I'm not like I don't hit the moral high ground with with football related sort of for, for a bit of skullduggery nothing wrong with that no absolutely and 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 you know it wasn't just the defenders that were maybe getting away with a bit more in that area you know the strikers were as well so if, you know if, if, if you're a big you know you've got a big burly centre forward treading on your toes and elbowing you and, and everything else then you're going to give a bit back aren't you and I guess 
I guess if you did get a red card, it was probably pretty warranted, you know, or you didn't get many of these soft ones like you get nowadays. So, yeah, like you said, it was probably something that was was good fun watching and seemed worthwhile at the time, definitely, yeah. <laughs> and finally, I think one thing that I was really happy with, it was, a, it was a good decade ago now, I think, but he came back for that charity game when even Jan Fjortoft came back. And I, oh. just, I just remember seeing the list of names and thinking, oh, even John Gittins is there because Swindon tend to wheel out the same five to ten footballers sometimes, mm. don't they? And uh-huh. when, when you get those sort of players out, it, it, there's that feeling of recognition. There's also that feeling that they were there if 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 the club called. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, his spell at Swindon, you know, in, in the context of an entire career, it was only three to four years, wasn't it? But it, uh, I think you know you always have this with players, don't you? All, you know, in these sad times when they pass away, who do you define them? You know, who who do, who do you remember him as playing for? And obviously, when you remember him at Swindon. But I think I'd like to think that he did have some of you know his best years at Swindon, and hopefully, you know, remembered the club very fondly. It sounds like he probably did, like you said, because he came back for that game. So yeah, that's a, that's kind of a good a good a good thing that you remember that. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, like I said, it just it's just sad, isn't it, when one of your heroes goes? But you know, it was heartening to to see what a what a what a great influence he was on on so many people's lives directly because you know we as fans just watch these guys from the terraces and we don't really know them, do we? They're kind of their heroes and in some ways you know when you remember them down the years they're caricatures as well you remember little things about them rather than the whole rounded individual mm. and um yeah just learning how other little a little bit more about his his life and career today it just just shows what a sad loss he was yeah gavin a pleasure as always hopefully next time we talk it'll be for happier reasons absolutely yeah let's hope so rich thank you Independence Swindon Town fan podcast. The music was expertly created by Matthew Kilford, and the podcast artwork is by the super talented John Daglish. Thanks for listening. Hi, Alice Pod fans, it's JR here. If Swindon players were McDonald's items, who would they be? We've had lots of Big Macs like the legendary Alan McLaughlin, Harry McCurdy. Or even Steve McMahon. Perhaps you'd prefer to channel the power of McPlant like Darren Ward. Or maybe five chicken selects, one to enjoy for each time Ben Gladwin joined. Yep, there's one spare, but there's still time. And you don't need super scouts or data solutions to get your hands on any of these. McDelivery through the McDonald's app brings them all to you. At participating restaurants, 18 plus. Serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com.